Hi everybody and welcome to Cabaret Secrets. Today's guest has been delighting audiences on both sides of the Atlantic with her critically acclaimed shows, book readings and handicraft classes. At 71 she's launched a career in singing, she's appeared on Britain's Got Talent and she's embarked on a short tour of Russia. Despite the thousands of no's and millions of call me laters, she's won accolades and awards across the United States and here in the United Kingdom, including the Time Out and Soho Theatre Award at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. The Scotsman described her as a poster girl for growing old disgracefully. Lynn Ruth Miller, welcome to Cabaret Secrets. And thank you so much for having me. I, I want to know, what is it that drives you? I'm going to give you a quote. The quote was said many, many years ago by William David Thoreau, and it's, build your castles in the air, and then build the steps to get there. But the important thing is you have to enjoy the steps. If you don't enjoy the steps, throw out the castle and do another. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, it's, um, it isn't just enough to want to do something. I always remember my mother always said, I could have been an opera singer. And she had a beautiful voice, but she didn't get that she had to study for like 10, 15 years and then sing for 10, 15 years. She didn't get that. It takes work. But the work isn't slavery. The work is a joy, or it has been for me. I believe that you have to love what you're doing, and that you have to love doing it for the audience. The audience is, is why you're there. The audience yes. is why you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you, are you um, then one of these people that sort of likes to work to goals, that's very goal-driven? Or are you somebody that just, well, just things kind of waft along, I take life as it comes? Oh, no, I don't take life as it comes. I'm very, <laughs> oh, I'm very OCD. Uh, but no matter what I see, that I want to do, I think to myself, yeah, you can do it. The art is to realize after you've tried that some of that stuff you can't. <laughs> For example, I took up hula hooping. I was absolutely certain I can do it. I, I can't. I was never good at sex, and I'm not good at hula hooping. It's the same movement, and I can't do it. But uh, I'm, I'm willing to put in the work and put in the hours because it's a joy to do it for me. Um, but it's scary as well, isn't it? Yes, and I'm always frightened. I'm always. I think that if you want to do something well, there's always that unknown factor, and you you just that's what gets the adrenaline going. You know, as I, I've noticed that as my career has developed, and I, and I've, you know, I'm good at certain. Th I know which bits I'm good at and which things are not so strong. So of course, over the years, I concentrate on the things which I'm good at and they get more and more refined. And so I get in a very, I found myself over the years getting in a very safe, comfortable place on stage. And so if I'm ever out of that a little bit now, I'm suddenly very uncomfortable. I'm very nervous. And I thought to myself, years ago when I first started, I used to be on the edge all the time. I never knew what the hell I was doing. And, and, and it seemed to work most of the time. Sometimes it went horribly wrong, but most of the time I seemed to get away with it. But the, as my sort of act has got more refined, uh, it's made me uh, more cautious, and that's not necessarily a, a good thing. I'm going to encourage you not to be cautious. I'm going to encourage you to step just a little bit outside your comfort zone every time, mm -hmm. just a little, because that's how you grow and that's how you expand. But I have to say that I've seen two of your shows. I adored them. I can't think what would make them any better. But I still think, 
don't, if you keep doing what's comfortable, you're going to get into a rut. And I don't want to give a name, I'll tell you after, but there is an older singer that's been doing this for, uh, he's uh, very close to my age, and he's been, I think he's older a little, and he's been doing this so long. And when I watched him, I went to one of his shows, and I thought, you know, this guy is just reciting. Which for us performing I know, I know that you think the most the most important part of what we do is having an audience and we have to treat them with such respect and love and and the kind of love that I like it's the kind of love where you don't have to cook them dinner and you don't have to take off your clothes you just love them <laughs> you just take their money hopefully yeah. oh no I don't <laughs> I don't and I am very bad about giving comps away because as soon as I ask somebody to come to the show I think hey you're asking them to spend money. That's not, and I've always had such a terrible time staying afloat. And so I will regularly, if I say to you, come to my show, right after you can pretty well count on my saying, I will comp you in. Mm -hmm. Except in Edinburgh where I've got to make some money to pay for the venue. <laughs> then I'll say, come to the show. It's half price on Mondays or Tuesdays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but no, we may, I think what we have to do, and we've talked about this too, is respect the money they've spent, but respect the time. Respect that they're there for you. You've taken them away from something else they could be doing that they love. And it's a huge responsibility, oh, I, isn't it? Yes, it is, and I can't, I mean, I wish I could reinforce this over and over because I've seen so many performers that don't care. And then there's the other thing. I will do, I, I will never forget this, I was at Sweet, and I had an audience full of people that knew me. And I was doing an hour-long comedy show, and I hadn't done that. Usually I had songs with it. And so this was sort of a test. And Steve Bennett at Chortle thought it was just a piece of trash. But I got up there, and I did this as a Saturday night filled with people I knew, and it was silent. I got off the stage, and I was thinking about hemlock <laughs> or a knife. And my friend Richard, who does tech for me and has been a, such a support for me forever, and he said to me, oh, he said, no, no, they were listening. I said, that isn't why I'm up there. I was up there to make them laugh. That's why and he said, well, that was a difficult audience. And I have heard that phrase over and over. That was a difficult audience. They're not laughing. It's my fault. If they're not humming along with you and singing with you or looking like they wish they could, something's wrong there. True, but I have found that sometimes, you know, the audience has to take some of the responsibility if it doesn't work. Sometimes there are that audiences that makes me feel a lot, lot better. Are, I mean, I've read, and you know, and I can say that. My old manager used to say to me, oh, you artists, you're all such egomaniacs. You always blame the audience. You always blame somebody else. You never say, I wasn't very good tonight. I and I said, well, that may be true, but particularly with the work that I do on ships, because the act is often, it's very, there's so much consistency. And I know that I can be working on the same ship, on the same stage, with the same band, the same lights, and the same sound, in the same theatre. Uh, and, and the only thing that's different it's is the, the audience. audience. And I know that, you know, we all know ourselves if we've been on form or just a little yes, bit under. Yes. And when I think to myself, okay, you know, I was a little bit under tonight. Or I can think, you know what, I was I was good tonight. I was, I was on form tonight. And I could do everything being the same and say, do, do it, four weeks running 
and sometimes it just works and sometimes it doesn't sometimes you have better nights than others sometimes there's a an energy there's something because we can't be responsible for what they've been doing before we don't That's know right, what happened before they came into the room it could have been chucking it down with rain all day there could have been they could have run out of of, of wine you know or they, they could have been talked into coming to the performance i always love there's a, a comedian named ronnie vi and i hope he hears this because i love him and he always says he hates to do with these audience where they all stand and fold their hands and say all right Make me laugh. Yeah. I've got to go plaster the wall or change the toilet. Or make me laugh. When you have a bad night like that, and it's, we all have bad nights, how do you pick yourself up afterwards? How do you keep on uh, going? Well, the first thing I do is I get very depressed. <laughs> I get very depressed. I relive all the things I should have said um, and hate myself. And then I think to myself, no, no, you have a gig tomorrow. And I re-read what I'm doing. I practice what I'm doing. And I just, it's, it's something that I think is genetic in me. It's like when it's been a gloomy day. And I know it's not forever. Tomorrow, the sun will come out. You're Tom an optimist. Yeah. Oh, very much. Yeah. It, it'll get better. It'll do it. You can do it. I don't believe in failure. I just don't believe there's any such thing. I believe that everything. Except involving hula hoops. I couldn't do it, but I had a good time. <laughs> you had a good time not doing it. <laughs> I had a good time not doing it. And, and I know it's an old adage, it's the taking part that counts. You believe that? I mean, I you believe because the, the old adage is it's not the winning that counts, it's the taking part. No, 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 I want to win. Right. <laughs> no, I'm not in it. No, I, I want, definitely want to win. I know. Yeah. I but want to win big. But if you don't win, at if least you, you tried. No. It isn't just you tried. You got something from it. Not what you wanted, but you got something from it. It wasn't a loss. How's that? When I have a, a bad audience, like that thing at Sweet, I was just at the, no, I'm, I'm going to do timeshares. I'm done. I'm done. I'm never going to do it. But give me a glass of wine, a good dinner. Uh, I will not take from someone else, well, it was the audience, but I have to go back on that because I did comedy, I think it's for the London Comedy Club, where everybody was a um, tourist. Mm. And I just couldn't get him to laugh. I really couldn't. And uh, Inky Jones, bless his heart, didn't hear me the night that I had the worst fiasco of all. And he always says, yeah, you always make him laugh. No, I don't. But I found out why they weren't laughing. They didn't understand me. I go too fast. I'm talking American. Their school English, they can't really, it's not, not their first time. I just slowed down. Mm. They laughed. I want to know why. What I was doing that night at Sweet, when they were all silent, is I had been doing, I had been rehearsing the material so much that I was doing it by rote. And one of the things I, I love, and it's the same with cabaret, you do it. You look like you're talking to an audience as if you've never said this before. You're mm -hmm. just sort of mm -hmm. chatting them up. Mm -hmm. And of course, it takes at least a lot in of comedy, practice to sound yeah, that natural. Oh, and, and I'm not. I've said all this, I've written it all. And if I can't look like I'm talking to them. And I have to say that now, and this is, is it 10 years now? Yeah, because I'm getting to be 81, so yeah, it's 10 years. Um, I can now deviate from what I know are words that I've said a million times and say something else. But even last night I was doing comedy and cabaret and I, I fell into a, a bit I do about going out with a paraplegic um, and he, he drops dead at the end of it. Anyway, and it's a very funny bit. I've been doing it since 2005. It's, the guy's name is Ted. Um, 
And as I was doing it, I was listening. I was saying, oh, my God, you're saying the same order, the same. If you don't slow down and talk to them out there, they're not going to, it's not going to be funny. Then. It seems there are different types of performers. There are some people, I think like us, that have just got this innate, need to be loved and we want to be oh, no we, want, we want to feel that and I think you know when I go on stage I just desperately want them to like me I I, I want them to respond well and what it bothers what, me and if, what if we miss in our chat yeah exactly I think you, I, were you breastfed I can't remember well I don't either but I <laughs> I don't think we were we didn't enjoy it anyway and then there are these people that that you know, they're more confident, they don't see, they don't care, maybe it's confident, I don't know, but there are these people that don't seem to care, and so they have this kind of uh, more of an abrasive attitude to the audience, and they think, well, I'm going to do my stuff, and if they don't like it, I'm an artist, and if they don't like it, it's their problem, I don't care, and they Gary, do it anyway. That's, that's rank insecurity. You think so? I know it. I know it. That's rank insecurity, and the other thing is, you never know what they're feeling inside. It's, it's anger and it's insecurity. And that man that said to me, I don't care about the audience. I don't know why he's doing it. He's, it's that same thing. Of course he cares. Why? It's that terrible insecurity. Okay, you don't have to love me because I don't like you. That's, it's sour Which grace. is anger, isn't it? It's, it's anger. anger. And I, uh, to me, I've, there's absolutely no, I will admit it every time, I want you to laugh. And I don't want you to laugh at me because I'm old. I want you to laugh at me because I'm funny. And if you're not laughing at me because I'm not, be, and I know I'm not funny to you, I'm going to go figure out how to be funny to you. Mm. And I might not make it, but it's a challenge. I have never been in a career that is this interesting to me. I mean, I sat for years and, and just wrote books. And I always said with books that every sentence I did was a selling, I was selling them to read the next sentence. So I always knew I was writing to be read. And that's a nice way to think of our shows as well, that every line, every song, we're selling them to, to keep stay, their attention, to, to listen stay. to the next one. That, yes, that's actually Turn the page. It. Yeah, oh, but it isn't just for the applause. It's, it's, it's what the applause says. If it's just, if you're just doing it for the shock value, you're you're cheating yourself because that's the thing about what we're doing that is so absolutely superb. We're making ourselves richer. I've never felt more proud to be me, and it's all because I've been doing this. I really like me now because a lot of people that I like have said, yeah, you're okay, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm okay, and I'm going to get better. <laughs> And that's the other thing, you never get there. Anybody that says, yeah, I've been doing that, which is also that singer I was telling you about, that person believed that he had already gotten there and he was just writing on, on his past. That's, I hope I never do that. I just hope I never do that. Mm. And do you think that's one of the reasons why people love you so much and love you as a performer? Because no, they love me because of my body. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. That, that, yeah. Laugh, yeah. <laughs> This is a podcast, it's not a video cast. Um, the reason I love you is because, and I've never seen you perform. Well, that's why. But is, is because uh, you, are, you are inspiring. And I think that, oh, it must sound a bit trite to you, but it's inspiring because, not, not just because of your age at all, actually, but well, it's because, because it's just because, regardless of how old you are, you have this incredible personality that is just, I feel good 
when I talk to you. That's I, good. And that's fantastic. And I want to feel that when I, I, it inspires me because I want people to feel better after they've had a conversation with me. I'm not sure they always do, but that's what I want. And you, uh, you inspire me to try and uh, have, you but know, share important. that uh, joy. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. I, I would never go on a, a desert island and, you know, says, and, 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 no, I'm here because I'm part of a society. I'm, I'm part of a human race. No, that's why we're here. And, and that's what we're realizing. And we're realizing it on a larger level. Uh, I'm not afraid. To, I'm very happy with being alone. I live alone and I love it. Um, it's, I finally get some peace and quiet. You know? Not always because I talk to myself, but most of the time. <laughs> but we're here. We're social animals. And we're here. When you have a conversation, you want to feel good about it. Otherwise, why bother? You, that, that's why. It's, it's being human is a marvelous, marvelous adventure if you let it. There are going to be people that I turn off. I, I remind them of their mother. I'm too loud. I'm too forceful. Uh, I'm too positive. I'm not... Um, who is it? There's a, a the man that it's not Alex Petty, but it's the other guy uh, that runs the Free Fringe, Peter somebody. And I went up to him uh, on High Street in Edinburgh, and I said, "I would really like to know more about your Free Fringe because I've got a really good show." And he said to me, "That's not the way we talk in this country." So I said, "Well, what am I supposed to say to you? I've got a really crap show, but maybe you'd like to see it and bore yourself to death. You know, what am I supposed to say?" But I know I just came on to him too strong. Did you win him over in the end? No, I never won him over. He can't stand me. But yeah. <laughs> but again, that's his problem. Uh, but I know what I did then, and I haven't done that to other people. Mm. We like people, mm. and I also—it's not just general with me. I like a person. I'm not just—you know—when someone says to me, "I love people," well, that's that's like saying, "I love the weather." Well, I don't like all weather, <laughs> but I love those individuals out there. Mm. I love the ones that are smiling, and I love the ones, and I'm feeling bad for the ones that aren't. Mm. I'm thinking something's hurting, and if I can't fix it, but I, then again, if I can't fix it, I can't fix it, but I'm going to try. Do you think this attitude that you have to life makes you a better performer? Yes, because I care. Because I never go out there saying, well, I've done the best I can, and if they don't like it, screw it. I never say that. Never. And that's, that's what makes me grow. And I think that that's so vital, all of you who are listening, to be 80 years old and still growing. Grow. What's the point of living the same day over and over? What's the point? Which, of course, says to me, what's the point of telling the same joke over and over? And I don't want to discuss that. <laughs> a lot of people that are of any age, but more so, I think, as people get older, that they just think, oh, I just can't be bothered. And so they stop making an effort. Now, if people are listening to this and, they are, and they're one of those people, oh. what, what, what can you say to sort of If you can't be bothered, them? that's your choice. That's your choice. I will never forget meeting this woman at one of Sarah Louisa's cabarets, and she was just this really stereotypical old woman with the hairdo with the waves 
and, and, and the dyed blue hair. I mean, really stereotypical. And she said, so what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm going to Manchester, and then I'm going to this one, and I'm, then I'm going to that one, and then I'm dancing the Fandango, and I'm standing on my head, and then I'm probably throwing up all over the And she said, oh, she said, I lead a very quiet life. And I said, do you enjoy it? And she said, yes, I do. And, I, and she said, but on, I do, she said, I'm very quiet. She said, but on Thursdays, I sing for Alzheimer patients. And I said, you, you do more on Thursdays than I'm going to do all month. Yes. But the point is, it's fine if that's what you like. But is it? Is it an escape or is it what you really want? Are you saying, I can't because I'll fail, I can't because I'm afraid, are you saying, I can't because I don't like it? What are you saying? Know thyself. Hardest thing in the world. Life is a journey. And I don't want mine to dead end. Life is like a card game and it gives you these cards that's your hand. And then you play them. But you, you can't just play them. You have to use your head. It's like a bridge game. You have to think. You have to... You have to do, in entertainment, you have to say, what is it about this that, that people should take their time to see? And you also have to realize that time is very precious. Anybody, I object very strongly to people who say, well, I'm going to Edinburgh, it's going to be next, next month, but I haven't written my show yet. Well, that's disgusting. You're going to make people pay to see you rehearse. That's horrible. That's, that's such a lack of respect for the one thing every one of us should love, every one of us should adore. I would, and you can quote me, go to bed with every single member of my audience, every one of them, <laughs> male, female, canine, feline, all of you. I can't promise what you'll get, but I would do it because the audience is the most precious thing you've got, and we owe them. And to not not be prepared is, and not it, do your best is an insult to them, oh, isn't it? Oh, it's horrible. We have and a great responsibility, I think, as performers to really make it that their time worthwhile and their money. On their money, but remember for the long time, they weren't paying anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't care. Oh, someone always says to me when I do uh, free gigs, they say, well, just practice your new material. I can't do that. There are people out there that came to see me. Their time is just as important as their money. Mm -hmm. And it's so, and it's a lack of respect. Steve Martin writes a wonderful biography. He's marvelous. And if you haven't read it, you should. And I'll try to find it for you because it's just marvelous. And in it, he said, always remember to dress better than they do. Mm -hmm. you're, you're showing, show that you're excited about being there for mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I think is so vital is there was, uh, I cannot think of his name, and it's just as well because it's not a nice thing I'm about to say. He's a, he's a prize-winning comedian in San Francisco, and he did a whole set to silence. So, you know, so if that would have happened to me, I would have immediately just opened the window and jumped. Mm -hmm. But he's coming out, and I said, you know, maybe you were talking too fast or something? He said, I don't care whether they liked it or not. And I thought, thank you. Why are you doing this? Is this just... It's like, you can edit this out, it's like masturbation. It's, it's, you're not getting the feedback back. It was horrible, why don't you just stand in front of your mirror and just tell yourself jokes, you prick. You know, it's, it's, it's a total lack. 
for the reason we're doing this. We're doing this for connection. When you get up on the stage, when I saw you, and, and I keep calling it Cabaret Cock, which evidently is not the name of That's it. That's a different place. That the Crazy Cocks. Crazy yeah. Cocks. I always call it the wrong name. Anyway, that audience, you were talking to that audience. Every one of them thought you were talking just to them. But I knew they were wrong. You were talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. They knew when they came there that you didn't take them for granted. And I never take my audience for granted. And I remember one time, I also do storytelling, and I was doing it for Club West, and I had given a free ticket uh, to uh, Richard Ireland, who has a gallery in Edinburgh and sells my paintings. He actually sells my paintings. And he had a free ticket. Nobody else had bought a ticket. And he walked in, and uh, Kevin, the man that ran Club West, said to me, you know, there's an unwritten rule that if there are more people running the show than sitting in the audience, you cancel. And I said, uh-uh. I paid for this room. He's coming here. I'm telling him the stories. <laughs> yes. And by God, I did. Yeah. 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 And, and he's never forgotten it. There were two of them. Somebody else came in, also a comp. <laughs> 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 you said earlier on, you know, life deals you a, 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 a bunch of cards, and it depends right. how you play them. But you but always seem... Not, not playing to win, though. That's where there's a fallacy. Mm. It's like good sex. It's playing for pleasure. Mm. Mm. But the audience is just as important... I can't do it without, without an audience that, that I'm communicating with. And that's the gift for me. I'm 80 years old. And I'm talking to 16 and 17-year-olds. And they're saying, yeah, she's communicating with us. She's telling us something. There's a man named Mike Moto, whom I would absolutely adore you to. If I can bring him here, you would love him. And he said, comedy, the trick of comedy. And I believe it's the same with cabaret, because cabaret is also connection with the audience. The trick is to get a bunch of strangers to come to the same conclusion <laughs> that you come to. That's you nice. pick those songs in Crazy Cock. You, you pick them. And what you were saying is, do you like them too? And we did, and we did. Mm. You were saying, I really like these, and, and, and do you too? And, and everyone said, yeah. Of course, I mean, there's always the chance that somebody will say, no, and I'll walk out. But I've never had that happen yet. I don't know whether you have, don't tell. But the, 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 the audience is why you're there. And you talk about being dealt a hand of cards, but sometimes we uh, get dealt crappy hand. cards, right? But and, you still do your best. And how do you, what's your sort of life philosophy? What keeps, you, what keeps you going with such positivity and drive? Because I know I can. If I put my mind to it and I work hard enough, even if I can't do what I expect, the work is going to get me somewhere. I want to tell you another story that, that is apropos of this, if you're dealt a bad hand. Do you remember the thealamide babies? Mm -hmm. All right, and they were deformed. And I went to um, uh, Martunis in, in San Francisco, which I love. Anybody go to San Francisco, you go right to Martunis, and they have a piano bar. And we were singing. We all could bring our charts. And this boy got up who had no hands. He had, they were like stumps. And I thought, and he brought a computer. And I thought, how's he going to use a computer? And he did. He did. And he sang. Uh, his voice was heaven. 
He wanted to be an artist. He didn't have any hands. And, and the voice was beautiful. And he had a purpose. And he didn't feel disabled. And he didn't feel disadvantaged. He felt empowered. I do burlesque, which is frightening in and of itself. And my friend Frodo McDaniel says, if I want to see a frightened girl take off her clothes, I'll bring a gun. <laughs> I thought, he said it better than I could. <laughs> but, but the point is, empower. I'm empowered when that audience has gotten something I've said, when I'm from a different country, a different generation, a different um, mentality, a different moral code. I'm from the 40s and the 50s. I'm a prude. You'd never believe it when I'm sitting there taking my clothes off, except unless you notice how many clothes I still have left on. But I, have, I lead a very, what I consider a very moral life, and I would not impose it on anyone else. It makes me a nervous wreck. But I'm communicating to people that have totally different frames of reference. I did it. I did it. And they're getting something from me. They're saying, well, she, she isn't just old and useless. She's got a mind. They're and also they're sitting and watching, well, if she can do it, I, I can, can do, do it. it. That was exactly what I was saying, Nick. That's it. I'm saying to them, I don't particularly have much talent. When they hear me sing, I know you'll be shocked, but I've never had the Metropolitan Opera approach me. <laughs> and I'm singing, and I am obviously having a good time at it. I'm really having a good time. I'm so off-key, it's pitiful. But I am happy. Do you ever get scared? All the time. If you're not frightened, the adrenaline doesn't kick in. Every time. Right before I go on stage, I think, oh, no one's going to laugh. No one's ever going to laugh. And they do. Or I'll forget a song. I know I'll forget a song. And I don't. I do sometimes. But they don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, always. I have a television uh, show that I've been doing for almost 15 years in Pacifica, and of course not doing anymore, and that's the what's hot between the covers. And all I'm doing is- It's a great time. that's a book review show, That's right? a book what's, review. Tell me the title again. What's hot between the covers, <laughs> yeah. That's inspired. Yeah, I know, and everybody always says, what's hot between the sheets? I say, no, 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 I'm over that now. It's what's <laughs> hot between the covers. But um, before I start, every time I think, am I gonna talk too much? Am, are they going to talk back? Am I going to ask the right questions? You'd think after 15 years of doing this thing, as public service, by the way, they're not paying me, that I would get the attitude, they'll take what they get. I never get that. Mm. I always say, no, I've got, there I think, I've got this person that thinks I'm going to make them famous by interviewing them, which of course nobody watches the program. I don't, in all the years I've done it, I've had one person once say to me, oh, I saw you on television. And I said, oh, <laughs> you didn't get cable. What happened? <laughs> but I mean, it's not exactly a big seller there. But these people depend on me to bring out the best in them. That's a responsibility. It's the same thing as the audience. When I see people who don't bother to prepare, we had that in Ireland. I just came back from Ireland. I was doing comedy. And this little girl got up that looked like she hadn't bathed in 20 years. She looked like they had pulled her out of the gutter. And, and really, they, she did. And, and I was thinking, if she would just tart up a little. Mm. <laughs> Maybe I'm being superficial. But I think that when you're performing for someone, it's sort of like going to their party. 
and I wouldn't. It's like it's like actually inviting them to your party. It's like you're yes. the host, and yes. you've got to take care of these That's people. It. There's a great little quote in in the Cabaret Secrets book um, about the dinner party, and uh, thinking of a cabaret show as like a dinner party, exactly and you're right. inviting friends over to your home, and you're gonna and prepare an, an evening of entertainment, a starter, a main, and a pudding, you know, and, and right. there's a shape to the whole thing. You're gonna welcome them, you're gonna make them feel comfortable, you're gonna give them all as much attention as you can, and at the end of it, you wanna send them on their way with a smile on their face, having thought, oh, what a nice evening that was. We're, we're trying to be the, the perfect hosts for a group of strangers. And that's exactly right. And that's exactly right. And when you, when you, they leave and they smile and they, and and you know they've had a good time, you've done it. It is. It's like giving a good party. It is. And and giving a good party not just to your close friends but to a lot of people, mm -hmm. and showing them, and also showing them that, uh, that we should, we haven't talked about the importance of live entertainment. That's so so important. When I do something on a television screen, and remember, you know, I did that, that's not the same. When I go and watch a program, even a movie, and I love movies, even a movie, it's not the same as when I go to live entertainment, and that person is up there on the stage, and I can actually feel the vibration of who they are and what they are. It's the most beautiful human thing we can do. It's what makes human beings human and we're doing it and everyone in that audience can do the same thing it's an important thing to realize how 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 vital growth and 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 progress is to really communicating with each other not just on a on a smartphone and they're not smart either those phones it's <laughs> not on a smartphone not on a computer but this way, the way we're talking now, this wouldn't have been as great an interview. I don't know if you're having as good a time as I am, but I'm telling you right now, this is memorable for me. <laughs> if you, it wouldn't be, if we were doing this over the telephone. It, it's, there's a whole milieu, there's a whole, whole thing. Uh, when you talk about the empowerment of, uh, how empowering it can be for people performing, um, it's also scary. It is scary, but I think that's why it's empowering as well, because I remember uh, one of the scariest things I ever did was do a skydive, and I was terrified about doing this thing. But, you know, I felt the fear. I did it anyway. And I remember the, 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 the thing that I got out of that was getting on the ground at the end in one piece, and, and I'd just done something that, you know, five minutes before, I was terrified about doing. Would I survive this thing? And I did survive. And the fact that I could, that I'd done that thing, suddenly I felt so empowered. I thought, God, if I can do, if I can jump out of an aeroplane, I can do any, facing an audience or worrying if I'm going to remember the words of this song or yes. worrying if I'm going to catch the next plane or worrying if I'm going to, you know, no whatever. That's no fear like that. The, 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 these are silly things. I've just felt like I've, you know, just been at yeah, the, death's door, you know, and I've survived. And so it was very empowering. And it's a, and it's a, a wonderful thing to be empowered, isn't it? Everything I do adjusts to the reaction I'm getting. It's important because they're the reason I'm here. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the essences of cabaret, isn't it? That it's that it, it that the audience help to determine what happens next. More, 
I think even than comedy, although I think they both have that thing. I have had more success with cabaret, which is interesting because I am such a bad singer. I really am awful. But it shows and, that it's not just about the singing then, isn't oh, it? Oh, so, it can't be what, if what it's is with it, me. Uh, what, what is it that's making it work? Well, the humor in the songs, the fact that I wrote it, and the fact that I'm, I don't stay on the stage. I don't think I don't know. I you do, but you've got that big band. You get. I get off the stage and go out into the audience. I sit on people's laps. I, I'm talking to them, mm. and I'm saying to them, you know, don't be afraid of getting old. Don't be afraid that you're going to lose your mind. Obviously, I've lost mine, and look what I'm doing. Yeah, don't be afraid. Just enjoy what you've got. Grab it. Do you think you were sort of born with this ability to do what you do, or is it something that people? You know, can I've learn? thought about this a lot. I was, I was, I had a horrible first fifty years. They were horrible. My life was a garbage can. But when you saw me, and I wasn't just putting on a happy face. I was an energetic. Because my sister called me up one time and she said, "Well, I'm having a party, but and you're invited," which was the last thing I wanted to do. She said, "You're invited, but just don't do what you do." I said, "What do I do?" So I evidently have always had this joy of meeting people, joy of being. I was essentially, I'm, I'm much more of a, a. I've always been a talker, but afraid to go do something new to meet. I was afraid of going to a party. I didn't want to go alone. And then one day, a darling, darling friend of mine, whose name was Dickie Klein, <laughs> he said, and, and he said to me, he said, are you going to the mixer? This was at the University of Michigan. And I said, oh no. I said, I, I, I don't know anyone there. And he said, how could you be so self-centered? I said, what? He said, how can you be so self-centered? Everyone in that party is worrying about what you think of them. And I've never forgotten that. I'm, I will see somebody on the street, and if they look pretty, I will tell them. I, I try to validate people, probably because I want to be validated. But that's what we're doing also. We're validating people. They're hearing, I mean, how many times... Have you gone to a show and somebody started singing a song and you think, oh, God, I love that song? And that's the advantage of cabaret over comedy. If you've told the same joke 40 times, pretty soon someone's going to come up with a punchline. <laughs> but when you sing a song they've heard for 40 times, they say, yes, sing it again. And it doesn't matter if they sing along with you. Oh, I, oh they do. Do they? Sometimes you ask us, but do they? Yeah. They, I love that. Yeah. As a, as a uh, an Edinburgh Fringe veteran, tell me, I've never performed, but I've been there many times, but I've never performed. Tell me, what's it like as a performer to be working there? And because I know it can be quite challenging, and for anybody that's thinking of taking a show to Edinburgh, um, what, you know, give, give, give them some advice. Uh, first of all, it's the most beautiful training ground in the world. The problem with most of us is it's also addictive. It's also addictive you reach a point in your career where you don't need Edinburgh anymore. But I adore it. For example, well, when I first started, the first thing I did was a comedy show. I've been doing comedy for a year and a half. That's not very long in comedy. And all of a sudden, I had 30 days where I was doing the same show over and over and over again. I learned it. I learned what was good about it. I learned it. The next year, I did stories. Uh, this year, it's invaluable because I have Sarah Louise Young wrote the lyrics to my songs. Michael wrote the music. 
So it's not something I wrote. And by the end of the Edinburgh run, I will know this thing backwards. It will be muscle memory. It's marvelous for any new show, but you've got to give it the preparation first. You've got people. When you go to Edinburgh, the difference between Edinburgh and when I do free gigs here, people are paying. People are paying for you. Even when you do the free thing, you, they stand there with a the bucket. You, you, you pay. I always say, it's free to get in, but it's not free to get out. You're standing there. <laughs> it's, it's the most awful uh, projection of guilt you can possibly imagine. You're standing there with a, with a hat in front of their faces. You say, oh, get out of here. Um, you owe them a prepared show. But what will happen is with every live performance, you will improve the show by the end of the 30 days. So bringing a new show, testing it in Edinburgh, after you've given it a lot of testing to make sure that it's where you want it to go, that's invaluable. You want to get it as good as you can get it before you go for the that's first right. And then it, the, the fact it that it's going to get better is just a bonus, but you need right. to work hard to get it yes. tip-top before you get there. But the other advantage of Edinburgh is the same thing on a smaller scale, believe it or not, as America's Got Talent and Britain's Got Talent. I was in both. And it's being around people where art is everything. Nobody cares about money. No, there, there are the few at the top that have spent absorbent amounts of money on PR. And, and my friend, um, oh God, what's his last name? I want to remember because he's so great. Daryl Martin. Oh, Daryl Martin, he's absolutely great. We were on a, he runs Just the Tonic, and we were on a panel together. And he said, frankly, I think it's a waste of money to pay for PR. The PR people in uh, that work at the Edinburgh Fringe, forgive me if any of you know me, are avaricious human beings who, who charge too much for too little mm -hmm. and convince these people they're going to make them famous. That's ridiculous. What's going to make you famous is a good show. If it's a good show, word gets around. My, the show that won never sold out. Mm. But mm. the people that saw it just loved it. So people shouldn't go to Edinburgh with the idea of making money. It's the idea of no, developing you a show, developing lose. your craft. And, oh, and, and you will not. That's something that nobody tells you. If you don't do these foolish things like buy thousands of flyers that, by the way, end up in the, in the landfill... Uh, put up hundreds and hundreds of posters when 10 will do, although not 10, but maybe about 100 will do, uh, hire a PR person and hire an ad agency. If you don't do that kind of stupid stuff, you will, for the most part, come out even. Mm -hmm. Not I'm not talking to people in the United States. They can't because of the amount of money they have to spend getting, uh, getting over, over here. here. Uh, it completely erases any hope of a profit. But if you only count, once you got there, your your room and board, your um, the, the shows you see, it is highly likely that you will break even. I have never, ever, except the second year. No, I have to say that no, the first year I made money. Second year and the third year, because I was not smart about it, I have never lost money at Edinburgh. But if you're not employing an ad agency and you're not buying thousands and thousands and no, thousands of flyers... No, you get out there and you talk to people. How, how, yeah, how do you spread the word? You talk to people. You talk. Sarah Louise always takes a, a pile of, 
of flyers with her and hands them to people as she goes and talks to them. Because if you just have hire someone to hand out your flyers, they're going to take the flyer and go to the nearest dustbin mm. and put it in there. But if you start talking to them, they'll come to the show. The perfect example happened in Ireland this time. I was in Ireland, and the waitress, oh, no, it wasn't a waitress. I met her in the, in the ladies' room. Anyway, and we were talking, and I was making some smart remarks. I think about the dryer, the hand dryer, whatever it was. She just really took to what I was doing, and I said I was on my way to the International, which is where I was performing. And I got there, and she was in the audience. at the If you talk to them, and then word of mouth, you're, the week that tells whether you've been a success is the third week. I mean, and well, you've heard, I've done shows where nobody was there but the tech guy. And I said, yes, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, because that's what it is. It's a training ground. But it's more than that. It's the people you meet. People I've met there are invaluable to me. I just love them. They're so inspiring, all of them, even the ones with the terrible shows. Mm -hmm. They're so inspired by the arts and the importance of art and the importance in the world and society of being creative and thinking of something new and something that's your own. And they haven't, most of them, except for the great big names, most of them haven't gotten to the point where it's a money-making proposition, mm. where they say, I'm not investing this unless I get this. Mm -hmm. I've never, ever said that about Edinburgh, ever, ever, ever. People tell me that doing uh, open mic, sort of running around uh, the place, performing it, you know, oh, that also gets you, that to spread the word, you know, so you can, where well, you can do a you. ten minutes and you plug your show. But you have to get someone to book you, and and the bookers all book their friends. Oh, right. So you have to get you have to get someone to book you. Oh yeah, I'll do any open spot. I'll do it. At Six in the morning. I yeah. hate them. But, but when you say um, yes, that's you're getting how in a booker, how does somebody that's turning up for the first time find a booker, and or, or does it just not have? Do you need to have done it once before you have to and network, made a network, network? Network, yeah. Network, network, network. And networking in Edinburgh is just going to lots of shows, talking to everybody, hanging out, going to the bars, having a drink, chatting to everybody. Everybody, and you can email me, and I'll give you a list of names. Yeah, for sure. Because oh, yeah. yeah, we'll put your email address on the on yeah. the web page. Oh yeah, I'll help because I had to go through this. Mm. The first three years, nobody would book me, mm. and now just some do. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you have to know people. You have to network. There's a there's a man that's uh, doing Irish uh, comedy. His name is Andrew, and he's got like a. I think he said to me, it's a ten minute spot every day in his show that he'll give away. Mm. I'm gonna do it. Not that's every great. day, that's but it's great. great. You know. Yeah. Um, you have to know people. For example, uh, they have they have a, a late night show at the Gilded Balloon, and the first year I got in there, I did really well, uh, and I, because I knew so I so I knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who got me in it. But the next year, I didn't know someone who knew someone. I couldn't get in, even though I had been successful the, yeah. the year. But the problem with that is the fallacy is. If you're not handing out flyers after you do it, don't bother doing the open spot because they're not going to remember your name. They're not going to. I know you think that you're memorable, but there were 10 other people on that program that also didn't just think they were memorable. They knew it. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got to give them the flyers. That's when the flyers are important. At the end of the show, so when people do these late night shows that go on till three in the morning, they do their bit at like um, 
one and they think, no, I can't stay. Well, it's okay, go home. But you didn't do anything for yourself. Mm. You gotta stay till the end. Mm. And when they come staggering out drunk and bleary-eyed, you hand them a flyer and say, thank you for coming. Mm. And always thank you and mean it. You're performing at Edinburgh this year? Yes. We will see you there. Tell us what we're going to see. Oh, you're going to see Not Dead Yet. <laughs> Lynn Miller, Not Dead Yet, with five songs by Sarah Louise Young and Michael Ralston that are absolutely marvelous. This isn't as funny a show, and I am, of course, a little worried about that, but Sarah Louise said, no, no, it's all right. It isn't as funny. But like 80, or approaching 80, uh, which I've done, Granny's Gone Wild is very... Um, quirky and funny. Another uh, show that you do. Yeah, but I, I have a show called 80, which is about being 80. That's very real. And this show is the same thing. It's very real. It's stories about what brought me to where I am. Len Ruth Miller, thank you so much for very talking well. to us oh, today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I think we hope we inspired some people to try something new. It doesn't have to be singing or comedy. Try skydiving and jump out of a plane. You may make it, and then again, you may not. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Cabaret Secrets podcast. If you've got any comments or questions, please visit cabaretsecrets.com where you'll also find details of the Cabaret Secrets book, an indispensable guide on how to create your own show, travel the world, and get paid to do what you love.